0: All right, let's begin by asking the Lord to just bless us tonight, shall we? In Jesus' name. Father, I just put the love of Jesus on this whole congregation, and I receive it myself tonight, Lord. Father, we just ask that the love of Jesus will flow between us in a wonderful way. Father, we've croaked out our praises to you tonight, Lord, and without a piano, without any musical instruments, and Father, we just thank you that you love us so much that you delight in any little gift, any present that we can give you. And Father, we thank you for the grace that receives even praise like ours, Lord, and you receive it gladly and welcome it. Father, with all our hearts, we just say how much we love you tonight. And Father, we're so grateful that you are who you are. Oh, hallelujah. Father, we thank you that we have a God whose heart of love beats in the universe. And, Father, we thank you it's with eyes of love that you look upon us. And, Father, it's with great joy in our hearts that we know that we have a life filled with your love down here and then an eternity floating in your love up there. Oh, Father, we just thank you so much for it. And, Father, as we come today to study more of your character, I ask you to bless us in full abundance. And, Father, may we really be changed people after tonight. In the name of Jesus, I ask it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We've uh, been making wonderful progress. Believe it or not, we're over halfway through this course on the character of God. And my prayer has been constantly through this course that I may maintain the mystery and the awe of God and yet reveal something of that mystery to us so that we don't become blasé about God We retain that awe, and yet on the other hand, we don't feel that he's so far distant that we can't approach him. And I leave it to the people who will hear the tapes to be my judge as to whether I've succeeded in that. Certainly my motive has been that God should be glorified and that the fear of the Lord should be the very beginning of the wisdom that I've shared with you. Well, tonight we come on to the big O's, as I call them, the big O's. Because I am not omniscient... That is, I am not all-knowing, despite what some people think. I have to use certain ways to help my memory along. And as far as the character of God is concerned, I put all the characteristics that begin with O together. It just helps me. You remember I've put a list up in former weeks about the character of God, and we've listed some of the attributes. Remember that we started off with God's sovereignty, and we've covered that in detail. Then we went on and talked about God's absolute righteousness and God's absolute justice, which I linked together and called them God's holiness. Now with those three attributes dealt with, we now have three O's. Today we'll be dealing with one O, next time another O, and the time after another O. Tonight we're talking about the word omniscience. Don't let these words frighten you, by the way. Once you've learnt them, it, they're so useful to describe what you're talking about. Omniscience. O-M-N-I-S-C-I-E-N-C-E. Omniscience. The next O sounds very similar, and that's the word omnipotence. O M N I P O T E N I'll do this again. Omni, O-M-N-I-P-O-T-E-N-O-M-N-I-P-O-T-E-N-C-E. Whoops, excuse me. Should have written them out. And the, the third one is, of course, um, omnipresence. O m n i p r e n c. No. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. I beg your pardon. I'm trying to remember these things, you know. And so we come on to the three... The three O's. Now tonight we're on to omniscience, all right? And I, by the way, you might wonder whether that was deliberate or not, just to prove whether I am omniscient or not. Omniscient is simply from two words, the word omni, O-M-N-I, which means all, and the word science, which means knowledge or knowing. And omniscience simply means all knowing or having all knowledge. And simply by saying omniscience, we are saying that God knows everything that there is to know. There is nothing that lies outside of his knowledge. Now, all of us, of course, have limited knowledge, right? We make mistakes. Uh, We certainly don't have full knowledge of the past or of the future or even of the present. But God certainly does have complete knowledge. And so let's start off with that characteristic, and it's the first of the O's. Can we go immediately to Psalm one forty-seven, one hundred and forty-seven, and beginning verse one and reading on, where we have a very clear statement of God's omniscience. Verse one onwards. <clears throat> Here it is: Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem, he gathereth together the outcasts of Israel, he healeth the broken in heart, and bindeth up their wounds. Now the next two verses describe God's omniscience. He telleth, or counts, that's the word, he counts the number of the stars, and he calleth them by their names. Now before we read on, keep your finger in the place, and can we just quickly flick over To the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, and chapter 33, and verse 22. Jeremiah 33, verse 22. And here you have a statement about the stars. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the seed of David my servant and the Levites that minister unto me. And there is a statement that the number of stars is so enormous that it is impossible for man ever to number them. Do you know that the present estimate of the number of stars is, they put it in general terms, that is, that it's hundreds of billions of stars. And if every man on the face of this earth started to count stars and spent one second counting each star, he wouldn't have years enough before uh, he actually died and he wouldn't have finished with the number of stars that are left. The number of stars is so enormous... That man cannot conceive of the number. The bigger the telescopes they build, the bigger the radio telescopes, then the more stars they find. They find further galaxies. And each galaxy has so many stars, they can't count the number of stars that are contained within that galaxy. And yet, I want you to know something. 200 years ago, scientists were saying that the number of stars was only 1,022. They'd sort of counted up, and it was 1,022. 200 years ago, 1,022 stars was what the official scientific textbook said. Some of them said it was 1,056, and there was some disagreement between those two. Jeremiah was written 2,500 years ago, and he got it right, that there were so many that man couldn't count them. All right, back to Psalm 147. Man can't count them, but look what it says about God in verse 4. He telleth the number of the stars, and he calleth them all by their names. Isn't that wonderful? God is so enormous in his ability to think that he not only knows the exact number of stars, he knows all their names as well. That's our God. Verse 5, Great is our Lord, and of great power. His understanding is infinite, or his understanding has no limit which is a statement of God's omniscience. He knows everything, and there's nothing that is beyond the limits of his knowledge. Now, that's one statement of omniscience. A very lovely statement of omniscience is found elsewhere. If we go to 1 Samuel 2, 1 Samuel 2 and verse 3, we come again to this lovely prayer of Hannah, right? This this woman really knew her God when she prayed. And we've seen other characteristics from this prayer, but let's have a look at verse 3. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 3, she says this, Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Except in the Hebrew, it doesn't say that God is a God of knowledge or the Lord is a God of knowledge. What it says is that the Lord is a God of knowledges. And you have an S on the end. And whenever the Hebrews did that, it meant he had full knowledge. In other words, whatever sphere of knowledge there was to know, God was the possessor of that knowledge. And that's why in, uh, in the writings of some Hebrew scholars, you actually get that written as the Lord is a God of omniscience. He knows everything. Now there are two simple statements. By the way, there are so many statements about God's omniscience, I've had to choose very, very carefully tonight. All right, now having said that, that I have to tell you is as far as most people go. They simply say, well, isn't that nice? God knows everything, and they stop right there. But I'll tell you that. I'll tell you something. If you stop at that point you miss the awe and the wonder of what omniscience is all about. For me, omniscience is one of the most comforting of all the characteristics of God. And therefore, what I want to do is to have a look at omniscience under four major headings. The first two are obvious. The last two are not quite as obvious, but they're very comforting. First of all, let's take the first heading that I've got. And this is part of the definition of. Of omniscience. And it says this that God knows all events, all actual events that will take place or have taken place in the history of the earth. He knows all events, past and present and future. He knows the whole lot. There is no event that has occurred or will occur or is occurring that God doesn't know utterly. Let's see a simple statement of it. Let's go to the book of Isaiah and 46, chapter 46. Isaiah 46, and verse 9 and verse 10. Here's a lovely statement, one of many that says the same. Right, look what it says, remember the former things of old, he says, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things are not that are not yet done, saying, "My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure," saith the Lord." And what this says is God stands at the beginning and He declares the end. In other words, he looks right down through history, and he knows exactly the way that history is going. And let me tell you this: if God knows the beginning and God knows the end, He knows everything in the middle as well. It's good news for us, isn't it? All right, another quick statement just over the page in chapter 48. says the same thing, verse 3. Isaiah 48, verse 3. I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. There it is. We may not know what is going to happen in the future, but the good news for us is that God does and that he always has known everything. Isn't that very comforting when you think about it? And so God knows everything that's happened in the past in full detail. No matter what the history book says, he knows the truth. Hallelujah. He knows everything that's going on in the present. He knows everything that's going on or will go on in the future. Therefore, we are able to say this, that God knows my past and he can cover it. He knows my future and I don't have to worry about that. And that's why our Bible contains vast sections... Of, first of all, history, and it's correct history. The only correct history book ever written is the Bible, right? It really is. And it's full also of prophecy, those two wonderful things. You know, don't you, that I've done over 35 tapes on prophecy, over 40 hours solidly on prophecy. And we all know that God knows the future. Without a shadow of a doubt, he knows everything in the future. And we've seen example after example of how God said it and it came to pass. You think of the birth of Jesus. 700 years before Jesus was born, God knew all about the Roman emperor. He knew all about the order that went out that all people should, you know, be counted and the tax and all the rest. He knew all about it. And he knew that Mary would be pregnant at that time. And that would, she'd be away from home. And that she'd visit this small insignificant place called Bethlehem Ephrata. And so 700 years before, he says to one of the prophets, by the way, just note it down, will you, that Bethlehem's going to be the place where Jesus is born. If Jesus had been premature, it would have been wrong. If Mary had decided to wait for a few years until they'd saved up for their mortgage, it would have been wrong. But God knew the events, and in his omniscience, he was able to say, this is exactly what is going to happen. Oh, it's very comforting. And God often uses omniscience to assure people that he knows everything, you know, and that they aren't to worry. Do you remember when King Saul was called? Do you remember that? And God said, Saul, you're going to be king. And Saul says, what, me, he says? I'm from the smallest tribe in Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and I'm from the smallest family of the smallest tribe. Are you kidding? I'm going to be king, and God, he says, yes. And to prove it, God Uses his omniscience. Let's just have a look at that in 1 Samuel chapter 10. This is very comforting to Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 10. And I know today with the modern New Testament prophecy, it's very comforting when you're beginning on a ministry and you think, Lord, I'm not sure that I'm the chap. I'm in a Bible teacher and I can't even spell. And am I the chap to really do this, you know? I'm sure you should have someone who can spell from memory and things. And yet God says, I'll tell you what the future is going to hold. And very often, he reveals the future. In verse 1, look what happens. Here's his official anointing. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? And here is a little bit of his omniscience coming out. When thou art departed from me today... Then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulchre in the borders of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say unto thee, The asses which thou wentest to seek are found, and lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses, and sorroweth for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? Then shalt thou go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor, Tabor, and there shall meet three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids, and another carrying three loaves, and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they would salute thee, and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. Very detailed this. After that thou shalt come to the hill of God where is the garrison of the Philistines and it shall come to pass when thou art come thither to the city that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery and the tabret and a pipe and a harp before them and they shall prophesy and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee and thou shalt prophesy with them and shalt be turned into another man. And here God isn't ordering the way. God is simply saying, I know exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly who you're going to meet and what they're going to have in their pockets. I know everything about them. And Saul, to show you that I haven't made a mistake in picking you, I'm just going to tell you that I know everything, the end from the beginning. Isn't that lovely? By the way, do you know that God knows exactly the people you're going to meet tomorrow? Right? He knows exactly what you'll be doing in 20 years' time. He knows exactly where you'll be in 50 years' time, and we all know where you'll be in 100 years' time. <laughs> now, isn't that wonderful to know it? So nothing ever surprises God. He has complete knowledge. Have you ever had one of these déjà vu experiences? Do you know what I mean by a déjà vu, already seen? And uh, you, you come into a room, and it's quite an ordinary setting, and suddenly you think, I've been here before. She was sitting there with her shoes off, right? The little boy had the porridge on his head. It's exactly the same. And you've seen it before. Now, no one understands where déjà vu comes from. A few scientists have a little theory, you know, that there's a slight delay between a vision going into the eyes and being received by the brain. And that fifth of a second means that you see it twice. And so you think, oh, I've seen this before. I'm not convinced by that. Do you know, I have a little feeling that God allows deja vu to prove to everyone that actually he has already ordered the events and he knows them. I just have a little theory about that. That when you have a deja vu, God might be saying to you, you see, I know all about it, don't I? You think this has just happened to you, but I've known it for hundreds of thousands of years. In fact, before time began, I knew all about it. And now, whenever I get a deja vu, I always have a little smile on my face. And I say, Lord, was that you? Now, I don't know whether it was God, but I have a little feeling it was. God knows everything, past, present, and future. That's why the book of Revelation is written the way it is. Let's turn quickly to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation and chapter 1. And in verse 1, this is what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he had sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. John, you're going to see things that will shortly come to pass, certainly in the next 2,000 years, and I'm going to show them to you. Right? If he had lived this long, it would have been a déjà vu for him, except 2,000 years on. You know, there was a delay of 2,000 years between the thought coming into his head and then he actually seeing it. But there it is. And over in verse 19, this is what he's told to write. Revelation 1:19, Write the things which thou hast seen, that's past, And the things which are, that's present, and the things which shall be hereafter. Now that is omniscience. All of you know that. So let's go on to the second category that comes under the heading of omniscience. God not only knows all events, past, present, and future, but he also knows all beings, past, present, and future. All beings are known by him. Angels, all of them are known. Animals... All of them are known. Human beings, all of them are known. Plants, all of them are known. Inanimate objects as well, they're all known by God. And as far as living uh, people are concerned, God knows whether you're going to go to hell or whether you're going to go to heaven. He knows exactly which is it. He knows the full life history of every person in hell, in heaven, or present on the earth. He knows everything about them. And there is nothing that is not revealed about every person as far as God is concerned. And God doesn't only look at you on the outside. He knows everything about you internally as well. He knows every thought you've ever had. He knows all your motives. He knows every word that you've spoken. He knows every action that you've done. He knows everything about you and he knows everything about every other person that ever has been or ever will be. Wonderful, isn't it? That's the full extent of God's omniscience. There's a beautiful statement of that in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. In Hebrews 4 and verse 13. Well, we'll read verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. It's manifestly obvious to God, who you are and what you're thinking. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Totally known. And if you read your Old Testament, you'll often find that it says, and the king of Assyria thought this in his heart. That's a lovely thing, isn't it? You read Antonia Fraser's uh, histories, and she always says, well, he said this, and we don't know what was going on in his heart. But God does know what was going on in his heart. In fact, in Isaiah 14, as you all know, God actually tells us what was going on in Satan's heart when he fell. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. God knows about it utterly, you see? And so we find that God knows us through and through and through and through. Very comforting for us. Jesus, of course, as a divine person, he also knew. You often read in the Gospels, don't you? And Jesus, knowing what they thought. Lovely. And before they actually said anything, he gives the answer so that they don't have to bother. It's a lovely thing. There's one statement of that in the Gospel of John, and chapter 2. In John 2, this is what it says about Jesus. Right at the end, verse 23, 24 and 25... John 2, 23 to 25. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. And just in the next chapter, Nicodemus comes, asks him a question and Jesus doesn't answer the question that Nicodemus gives him. Rather, he answers the question that Nicodemus is thinking in his heart. Oh, it's lovely to know that God doesn't sum us up on the outside, he sums us up on the inside. And many of us, you know, feel, oh, if only I could get out, what's it within me? Well, praise God, God knows what's within you already. And he ignores the outside and looks at that little pearl that's actually in the heart. The best statement, I think, about all of this and connected with us is another psalm, and it's Psalm 139, and one psalm I think that you all should know if you don't know it already. And when times are difficult and when people misunderstand you, but you know that your heart is right, it's lovely to turn to this little psalm. Psalm 139, Psalm 139, and verse 1. Psalm 139, and verse 1. Let me just read it out because it's a a very comforting thing. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before. God's covered the past and he's also got the future covered. And laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Isn't that the most beautiful thing? And yet sometimes we act as if God doesn't know. Isn't it silly of us when we do it? Adam and Eve, you know, they thought that trees could hide them from God. They sinned and they hid behind the trees. And Jesus came out, do you remember, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and he just says, Adam, where art thou? He wasn't saying it because he didn't know. He was saying it because Adam hadn't fully realized what had happened. Things had changed. So Jesus, knowing they were hiding behind the tree, he says, Adam, where are you? And suddenly Adam realizes it never used to be like this. You know when you're playing with your children, then you know where they are, right? And I'm playing the lion, you know, my children love it when dad is the lion. And, and of course they can't keep still under the blanket that they're hiding under, they just can't. And I have to pretend I don't know where they are and all the rest. And that's what Adam and Eve were naively doing, but God saw them. God saw Cain murder Abel right? Cain looked this way and that, and no one was there. But God saw it all the same. You can't hide from God. He knows everything. God knew that Sarah laughed when she was in the tent. She thought, oh good, this tent will hide me. (laughs) And then God says to her, why have you laughed, Sarah? I didn't laugh. Yes, you did, he says. He heard it as loud and clear as anything. He saw Achan when Achan stole those goods that he shouldn't have stolen. Do you remember the golden bust the golden statue that he took, and the silver that he took, and that Babylonish garment, you know, from Pierre Cardin of Babylon. <laughs> he, uh, he saw it all, and all he has to do is reveal it to Joshua, so that Joshua soon sees who the person is that's caused the problem. God may be invisible to us, but we're not invisible to him. And the quicker we realize it fully, the better. That's why, don't turn to this, but in uh, 1 Samuel 16:7 it says this, For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And God sees that which sometimes we can't even see, and he knows us right well. A few more statements of it, because I think it's so beautiful. Can we go to Ezekiel next? Ezekiel 11 and verse 5. And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said unto me, Speak, thus saith the Lord. Thus have ye said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them, says God. He knows all creatures, past, present and future, and knows them utterly. And beloved, let me tell you something else. He not only knows you now that you exist, he knew you before you existed. Right? The last scripture I want to look up is Jeremiah chapter 1, as you would guess. Jeremiah 1 and verse 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, he says. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you utterly. Marvelous. Before we were conceived, he knew us totally. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Do you see how extensive this omniscience is? And have you ever thought of this as well? The universe is so vast that compared to the universe, I'm just an infinitesimal, minuscule bit of dust. If God weren't omniscient, he wouldn't know that I was here. I'm so small. Or if he did know I was here, he might lose me. Have you ever tried to carry about one little speck of gold dust? Ever tried to do it? I bet you lose it. None of us would lose a huge gold shield that we were carrying under our arm. But a little speck of gold dust would be so difficult. We'd be saying, oh, I've dropped it. Where is it? And you wouldn't know where it was. And compared to the universe, we're smaller than that speck of gold dust. But because God is omniscient, the good news is that he is quite capable of finding us, knowing us, and looking after us. Isn't that good news? Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord, that you're omniscient. All right, again, most people would stop right there. But I can't stop right there, because omniscience is even more wonderful than that. Let's have a look at the third category. This is something that many people overlook. Number three, God not only knows every actual event, And everything that really has taken place he knows every possible event as well now you think about that he doesn't only know what's actually happened he knows what could have happened in every circumstance that there is that's fantastic you see life is absolutely full of choices isn't it we all make choices in our lives and once we choose in this direction all the other choices are put out of out of sight Then, once we've chosen a particular path, then all sorts of other choices open up and we have to make choices every day of our lives. Now, when we say yes to one thing, we're not saying yes to something else. And many of us say, oh, if only I had... Have you ever said that? Oh, if only I'd... I wonder what would have happened if I had instead of what I did do. Or we say, why did I do that? Oh, the foolish thing that I've done. And sometimes we wonder, what would have happened I wonder, what would have happened if I hadn't gone to university? I was converted at university. What would have happened if I hadn't gone there? One of my friends was converted at university, and part of his testimony is this. He says, I was rejected by every university in sight. And then I did better in my A-levels than everyone thought. And when my results came through, he said, I sent telegrams off to every single university, and they still turned me down. So he he said, right, I chose one university, and it was the one I went to. And he said, I sent them a telegram every day, until finally they rang me up and said, all right, come along. (laughs) Now he comes along, and he was converted. But what would have happened if he hadn't been so determined? It's worth thinking about. What would have happened if I'd been disobedient to the Lord, and not come to Chichester, but gone to London, which is where I wanted to go? What would have happened? Well, I don't know. What would have happened if you hadn't lived in Chichester, but had moved to wherever you wanted to go? What actually would have happened? What would have happened if Hitler had died as a child? What would have happened? What would have happened if J.F. Kennedy hadn't been assassinated? What would have happened? Well, we can only make conjecture. But the great news is that God doesn't make any conjecture. He knows what would have happened. Now, isn't that fantastic? He knows what would have happened in every single choice that we could have made. I mean, it's quite amazing. You think of the Titanic. Say the Titanic had missed the iceberg. Right? Do you know that God would have known exactly how long those people would have lived, what they'd have achieved in their lives? He knows it now. In fact, they died on the Titanic. But if they hadn't died, God knows exactly what they would have achieved. Sometimes in the fellowship here, people make jokes, you know, and we have them occasionally, and they know, they know that I'm writing my Bible notes, you know, and I've been on them six years, and I've still got a long way to go. And so the joke comes out, you know, well, isn't it wonderful, brothers and sisters, that we're all going to be raptured? Well, all of us, except for Roger, because he won't have finished his Bible notes by that time. And out it comes. Do you know... The marvellous thing is this, that say the rapture occurs tomorrow, God will know what would have happened if it hadn't occurred tomorrow. And he would have known how much work I would have put into my notes, and how many I'd have got through, and he'd have known the exact time that I would have died. He knows not only the actual things, he knows every potential as well. Now isn't that quite a staggering thought when you think about it? Wonderful. Therefore, nothing is surprising to God. He knows everything. And there are you saying, oh, shall I do this or shall I do that? And God says, well, I know what's going to happen no matter what you do. And more than that, he knows which way you're going to choose as well. Fantastic. Let's see one or two statements, two statements of this. Let's go to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 11. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. What What would have happened if I'd married someone else when I was younger? What would have happened? The thought is appalling to me, but what would have happened? (laughs) Well, God knows what would have happened. There we are, Matthew eleven and verse twenty. Now here it is. He doesn't only know actual events; he knows what would have happened. Verse twenty. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. You see that? He not only knows what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, he knows what would have happened if Jesus had walked through the streets of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 22. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And there are different degrees of judgment Right? In the lake of fire. Different degrees of it. And that's not the subject tonight, but there are. Just like there are different degrees of reward in heaven. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted into heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now there's a statement. He knows what would have happened as well. Another one, and perhaps a clearer one, is Acts 27. We go through to the shipwreck of Acts 27. Do you remember Paul's on board? Paul knows that he's been called to preach in Jerusalem, so he knows that nothing actually can disturb this particular trip. Sorry, in Rome, I mean. He was going to Rome. And in verse 31, this is what Paul says. Here's the ship right, being hit by winds galore out in the Mediterranean. And verse 31, Paul says this, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. He says there are two choices. You either stay on board the ship and are saved, or you leave the ship and you'll perish. And that's the choices, and God has revealed it to him. But more than that, God knew which way they would choose. Because if you go to verse 22, he actually says which way they would choose. Verse 22, and now he says, I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. So there's the statement. God says, right, here are the alternatives. If you stay on board, you'll be saved. If you get off, you'll die. But I know that you're going to decide to stay on board. So I know everything in this situation. There we are. So that means that God never overlooks anything. He can't make any mistakes. He knows everything perfectly. And that's the third main topic. The fourth, then, is this. And it's stating the obvious once it's been stated. If this is all true of God, it's obvious that God has always known everything. Now, some people have this idea that God learns constantly. That he's looking down, oh, I see, yeah, right, and puts that in his memory banks. God doesn't learn anything. Do you know that God has never learned anything? Ever. God has never forgotten anything. God has never been taught anything. He's always known it. One of the attributes we'll be dealing with in a few months' time or weeks' time is the attribute that God never changes. Now, that means this, that if God knows something today, he must always have known it. Otherwise, he would have changed. You see? So God has never, ever, ever been taught anything in his life. There's nothing that God has said, well, how interesting, I didn't know that before. God knows everything that there really is to know. Go to Isaiah 40, and we'll see a statement of that. In Isaiah 40, I'm sorry we're dashing about in the Bible quite a lot tonight. In Isaiah 40, verse 13. It asks a question, and this question is exactly the same question asked in Romans 11:34. It's a quotation from Isaiah 40. And verse 13. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or been his counsellor, or being his counsellor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? And the answer is no one, of course. God knew everything that there was to know from the beginning. And when you read statements in the Bible of what God knows, you be careful you don't misread them. Have you ever heard the scripture that says God counts the hairs on your head? Except it doesn't say that. You see if it did, it would mean, oh, how many hairs has he got? And he said, oh, yes, one in some people's case, you know. And that's, <laughs> and, and and, yes, and, and oh, how many? That would be saying that God is learning as he counts. But that's not what it says. Now, let's read it carefully in Matthew and chapter 10. In Matthew ten thirty, look what it says. It doesn't say he counts every hair on your head. What does it say? Look at this. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He doesn't count it. He already knows it. God intrinsically knows it from moment to moment, right? He knows we lose hair all the time, you know, right? I actually read a figure recently of how much uh, hair and skin and everything we lose during a year, and it's a phenomenal amount. It really is. It's many, many pounds of stuff Flake's off us. <laughs> And God doesn't keep recounting sort of, oh, let's have a recount here, hold on, that's another one, God. God intrinsically knows it. He knows it automatically, you see, totally automatically. Sometimes when I look at the sea... You know, I think how amazing God is. I look at the sea and there are thousands of waves all coming in. God doesn't only know how many waves there are coming in towards Bognor Beach. He knows how many waves there are at any split second on every ocean of the world. More than that, he knows the exact dimensions of every wave, he knows the mathematical formula of every wave, he knows um, the dynamics of every wave, he knows the velocity, he knows exactly when it's going to crash forward, he knows every bit of seaweed that is in every wave, he knows every particle of salt and how big every particle of salt is, he knows when it's going to dissolve, he knows when it's going to crystallize, he knows it, it... absolutely everything. He knows exactly where it's come from and where it's been since he's created it. He knows exactly where it's going to go to. He knows exactly what's going to happen when the sea goes red during the tribulation. He knows everything about every particle that there is. Now, isn't it staggering when you think about it? No wonder the psalmist said, it's too high for me. This knowledge is high. It's well above my head. To think that our God knows that and he's known it forever and forever and will always know it. Every detail. He knows how many pinnacles there are on the face of this wall. He knows exactly what it's like, right? He knows how many bits of wood are in the floor. He knows the men who laid this. He knows exactly what their lives are about. He knows what they're thinking. He knows who their great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was. He knows how long he lived. He knows every detail about him. Nothing is unknown as far as God is concerned. Now, when he has dealings with us, can you see it is in full command of the facts that he has dealings with us? really wonderful when you think of it all right now they're the main four points under the heading of omniscience but before we move on can I just deal with a problem and this is a problem that comes up from time to time God is omniscient and yet in certain passages of the Bible God is said to not remember things now that's a problem in case you don't know it it is Let's uh, have a look at a, at a passage that actually deal, gives us this problem. In Isaiah 43, and it could be any passage, there are so many of them. This comes up from time to time among Christians who are debating about spiritual things. Isaiah 43 and verse 25. Now, look what it says. <clears throat> I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Have you ever read a little statement like that? I will not remember your sins. Now, beware immediately. Because, you see, if God has forgotten your sins, he's not omniscient. Because what it means is that there are certain things that have happened that God knows nothing about. Now, that cannot be the case. Omniscience means he is all-knowing. What we have to understand here is that memory has two parts to it. Now, those of you who have done any psychology, you'll be nodding and saying, oh, that's self-evident. But memory has two parts to it. First of all, you have the knowing of the information, that which is contained in your brain. And many scientists and psychologists believe that actually we never forget anything. That everything that's happened to us is stored up there somewhere. The problem is, and this is the second part of memory, is getting it out of your brain, right? Into the thinking part of your head and then out through your mouth. And that is called recall. So we have two parts to memory. You have the actual knowing and the actual recalling of the thing. Now, people who are good at quizzes aren't necessarily more intelligent than other people. It's simply that they're very good at recall. That's what it means. Most of us, if we could have one question every five minutes, would probably get more right than we would normally get right. The problem with mastermind is that you have dear Magnus sitting opposite them and beep, 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 and, and all sorts of noises coming in. And he asks you a question, and you've got to give the answer, otherwise time's up, then on to the next question. And the people who are good at quizzes are not the ones who have more knowledge than anyone else, they're the people with good recall, you see? And to be able to recall something instantly is marvellous. Now, most of us have a varied sort of memory. I have a memory that's very good for some things. I can remember all sorts of facts and figures, you know, and I wish I could forget them, but I just can't, they're just there. You know how far Pluto is from the sun. I mean, it's just part of me. I I can tell you how many oranges were fitted to the sun. And things like, I remember all sorts of details. But if you asked me what I was doing yesterday, I hadn't the slightest idea. (laughs) And sometimes, and those of you who are my close friends will know that's true, um, you know, I'll say, do you know, I saw something last week that was very interesting. And they say, well, I was with you. I say, were you? Unforgettable, that's who you are. And I can't remember. I mean, I'd have great trouble remembering what I was doing last Tuesday. I'd really have to sit down and think. My recall, it's in there somewhere, but my recall is very bad. But you ask me questions about the Bible, I've got almost instantaneous recall, you see, over that. And we all have these varied things, don't we, you see? So it's these two parts we have. Have you ever been in a situation where suddenly you remember something you haven't thought about it for ages? I remember once when I, uh, uh, I went into a certain place where they were cooking bread and the smell of the bread suddenly brought back a memory when I was six. You know and I'd been to Lincolnshire and there'd been a windmill and it was still in use and they were still baking bread there and suddenly it came back to my mind. Now the smell produced the recall and dug up the memory. If you'd said to me, have you ever eaten bread made out of a windmill? Before that, I would have said no. (laughs) Right? Baked in a windmill. I would have said no. (laughs) Right? That's what I would have said. I'll have to listen to the tape after to see what I said. Now, but after that event, I knew that actually I had eaten bread made in a windmill. I really had. Uh, tasted of that. And that comes back. Now, this is why clues are so good to us. Most of us, if we're asked a question, we say, no, no, I don't know that. And you say, well, here's a clue. And you give someone a clue. Oh, yes, of course. And they've got it. And you'll find most of the memory books that you have, you know, uh, like improve your memory power, they, they don't actually talk about memory they're talking about recall all the time in other words do a little thing that helps you record something do you know one of my father's friends had this phone number it was ashford 6601 i can remember it now it's years ago since uh, i last thought about that years ago well how do i remember it well the way my father did my father said oh i can all easily remember that it's 1066 backwards i can never forget it 6601 Right now, the co-op number we used to have, I can also remember. Double one o one six o one or three o three six two eight. I can always remember those. Why? Because I did it every week, every week, every week. What's your number? Three o three six two. And so, and on it will go. Now, do you see? That's recall. Now, other things. No, I can't remember. Now, memory, therefore, has these two parts. You've got what you know and what you recall. And all God promises is this, that he will never deliberately bring to his mind again that which you have done. It's there, all right. He knows all about it, but he's not going to mention it again. Now, that's what it's talking about. And when you talk about God's forgettability, that's what you mean. But don't imply that he doesn't know it. He does know it. He's just promised not to bring it forward, you see. And the great news for us is this, that that which we've committed to him... God is not going to publicly bring out again. It's been dealt with on the cross of Christ and he promises it's not going to be recalled as far as he is concerned. All right, so there's the little problem solved. Let's just see that the Father is omniscient, that the Son is omniscient, and that the Holy Spirit is omniscient. The Father is omniscient in the passage we've already seen, so we won't turn to it, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, where it says, there is no creature which is not manifest to him. That's the omniscience of the Father. I could go to many passages in the Gospels to talk about the omniscience of the Son. But let's go to this passage in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. And talking about the Lord Jesus Christ here, this is what it says in verse 5, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. And that's a statement of Jesus' omniscience. The Holy Spirit is also omniscient. And if you go to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11, this is what it says. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit knows God through and through. You imagine that. Not only does God know every creature, he even knows himself. The infinite is known by the infinite. And here the Holy Spirit knows everything there is to know about God. What a wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit must therefore be omniscient. All right, now, so far, so good. But I don't feel like an end for tonight without actually asking two questions. And the first is this. What does omniscient mean to the unbeliever? That's the first question. And secondly, what does omniscience mean to the believer? Let's take the first. What does this fact of omniscience mean to someone who is unregenerate, someone who has rejected God and is in rebellion to God? I'll tell you what it means to him. It means fear and a terrible shaking. For what it means is this, that God sees everything and hears everything and remembers everything that the unbeliever is doing. And I'll tell you that unregenerate men don't want a God who's seen everything and has heard everything. They don't want it. They want it forgotten. They want to do things in secret. They want to do things in the hidden dark places. They don't want it revealed. They don't want a God who is an eternal witness of all that's gone on. They don't want a God who is the searcher of men's hearts. They don't want a God who is the judge of all deeds. They don't. And the knowledge that one day God who is omniscient is going to sit in judgment upon them is too much as far as they are concerned. It's a very, very fearful thing. For example, in Numbers, I think it's 23, verse 32, it says this, Thy sin, be sure that thy sin shall find thee out. That's what is said. An omniscient God will make sure that actually all the evil deeds are going to be recalled. And these men will have to give an account. And you see them walking down the street proudly, almost cocky the way they walk. Arrogant and proud, not realising that everything that they have done, they will be called to account before this righteous judge. It's a very fearful thing. Let's uh, see a few scriptures that might cause fear. I could go to many, many here. Let's go first of all to Luke 8 and verse 17. Luke 8, verse 17. Look at this. Luke eight seventeen. 17. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. It's frightening that, isn't it, that statement? There are many, many others. That which is said in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. They're the words of the Lord. I think another frightening verse is Romans chapter 2, verse 16. Romans chapter 2, verse 16. And this is frightening for the unbeliever, not for the believer. Romans 2, verse 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. That day's coming. The secrets, not only of what was said, but what was thought in their hearts. And there are many unbelievers, you know, walking around with evil in their hearts, although the outside looks all right. Every secret thing is going to be revealed on that day. I think one more, one last one, written by a man at the end of a wasted life, in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, in the words of Solomon. And right at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13 and verse 14. It says here, let let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now, these are verses that produce fear in the heart of the unbeliever. But what about us? After all, we are people who, knowing this fearful thing, have run for refuge into the arms of Jesus. What does omniscience mean to us? Let me tell you what it means. It means tremendous comfort. That's what omniscience means. It doesn't mean fear. It doesn't mean shaking. It means tremendous release of fear. Because, you see, it means this. That when you were born again, God knew everything there was to know about you. He knew you through and through. Or as the Bible says, he knew you right well. Very good. And so, there's nothing secret, you see. And what it means is this. That no talebearer bearer can reveal anything about you to God that he doesn't already know. No one can go up to God and say, Excuse me, have you heard about Roger? (laughs) God will say, well, when did you find out? I've known (laughs) for. He knows everything. No accuser can come along and say, I've got some news for you about that chap down there. God says, oh, it's old news. Tell me something new. That's what he'll say. Lovely. It means there are no skeletons in the cupboard. Isn't that lovely? God knows them through and through. The person sitting next to you might be surprised, but God isn't surprised. It's a wonderful thing. And beloved, isn't it wonderful? There is nothing hidden as far as God is concerned. Nothing that will make him go and say something like this, Oh, I didn't realize that about you. Oh, well, I don't think I... No, no, if I'd known that, I would never have saved you. (laughs) God is never going to say that to anyone. When he saved us, he knew what we were like and he took us on knowing our weaknesses. Isn't it good news? And the Bible says this, that it is a foolish man that starts building something that he can't complete. And God doesn't take you on, as some people think, and then say, oh, I'm sorry, you're too difficult a case for me. I didn't realize you were this hard. No, no, I'm sorry. No, I should never have started this. I'm terribly sorry. God doesn't do that. That's not the work of an omniscient God. An omniscient God takes you on with full command of the facts, and he says, well, despite all of that, I still know I can get you through. It's lovely, lovely news, praise God. Do you see what comfort that gives me? Oh, it's wonderful comfort as far as I am concerned. And that's why it says in the Bible that our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. right? So God isn't waiting, saying, well, don't add his name yet. We don't know about him. No, quite honestly, I'm, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't made up my mind. Give him another three months and then we're perhaps we'll see. But I have a little feeling he's not all he seems to be. He doesn't say things like that. You're not what you seem to be, but you're exactly what God knows you to be. Wonderful. And he takes you on. This is one of the main reasons why I believe in eternal security. Right? I believe that if God suddenly changes course halfway through, he's not omniscient. Omniscience demands that we're once saved once we believe. It has to be so. It must be so. And it's good news for us so we can relax. So what happens when you find yourself under pressure and you really feel, Lord, I'm not strong enough? The first thing you've got to know is this, that God knows you through and through and through. In Psalm 103, there's a comforting two verses. Psalm 103. The Christians around you may criticise left, right and centre, but this is what God's attitude is as far as you are concerned. Psalm 103, verse 13 and 14. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, and he remembereth that we are dust. Isn't that lovely? So you're a handful of dust. Well, God knows that, absolutely. You're expecting great things, but God says, well, he's only dust. That's all. Isn't it comforting to know that? Or sometimes when you feel that you've failed God. Then do you see you're able to say with Peter what he said in John 21. Do you remember when Jesus asked him, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? And finally, do you love me, Peter? And Peter just says this, Lord, he says, you know all things, omniscience, you know I love you. And what he's saying is, I know it's not obvious from the way I've acted. I know I've just betrayed you and all the rest, but Lord, I'm trusting on your omniscience to know that I really do love you. Oh, it's so comforting, that. It's very, very beautiful. Or what does 1 John 3.20 say? It says this, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Wonderful. So our heart condemns us, but God says, oh, come on. Your heart didn't know that, but I knew that and I'm bigger than your heart, so you forget your heart, you trust in me. That's what he's actually saying. Or when you're in a bit of a fog and you're not sure which way to go, then you can say, can't you, with Job, that he knoweth the way that I take. Oh, it's very beautiful. God knows all there is to know. Hallelujah. Well, thank you, Lord. And on my deathbed, I'm able to say, well, Lord, Nothing's been a surprise to you. I've surprised myself sometimes. I've surprised others sometimes in a negative way. But I haven't surprised you at all because you knew everything that was going on. What wonderful comfort. This is why, incidentally, God can hear all our prayers at the same time. Omniscience means this, that he can cope with 10,000 million prayers as easily as he can cope with one. If that weren't true, we'd have to have a rota of prayer, (laughs) wouldn't we? Oh, excuse me, I can't cope with it at the moment. Sorry, we're already engaged. There are only 16 lines open. All lines from Chichester to God are engaged. (laughs) That's what would would come. And say, well, it's Japan's turn this year. Um, You can book an appointment in 2018. And then I might have two seconds to hear you. Well, the wonderful thing is, you see, that all around the world, you've got people who say, well, I asked the Lord about it this morning. And the Lord said to me... And you multiply that by 10 million, and that's true. You can go to Brazil, and at the same instant, the Lord was saying something to them, and something to this person, and something to this person, and they were saying something to God. God can cope with it all, because he's omniscient. He doesn't even have to struggle. Omniscience means he can cope with it simply. Isn't that wonderful? That's why when we pray in tongues, you know, and uh, we're praying to God and extolling God, we can all do it together. You don't have to do it one at a time. God is a little more capable than that. He can decipher it all, you know. It's only when a message in tongues comes from God to us that we have to have it one at a time. Because we can't take more than one person. Have you ever had the experience, someone's on the phone and your husband starts speaking to you? Or your wife starts speaking to you? And you have to think, now what do I do? Do I listen to this? or do I? And you can't do it. Some people who have that type of mind can listen to two things at once. I personally have that ability. You know, I can read a book and listen to the radio at the same time and take them both in. But add a third one to that and I've finished. I can't take in anything. My wife strictly cannot. She's definitely mono, not stereo. (laughs) Definitely. And I'm standing by the phone and I'm saying, don't forget to tell them so and so and so and so. And she hangs up and she says, yes? (laughs) God isn't like that at all. It's good news, as far as we're concerned. God isn't like it. God can take in everything, and he knows everything. And so we can say this, that when God, in his word, tells us to take a certain course of action, and he promises that that is the way of happiness, we know it must be right. And it's a foolish man that ignores the particular way that God is laying out. So let us, with this knowledge of omniscience then, go forth with tremendous comfort and great assurance in our hearts. And let's be certain of this, that on that day, the Lord will look at us and all he will see is the blood and sacrifice of his Son, Jesus Christ. And he will will say this, I recall nothing evil about them at all. Hallelujah. That's the most wonderful news as far as we're concerned. Let's just pray together in Jesus' name. Praise you, Lord. Father, hallelujah. Oh, bless you, bless you, bless you. Father, I do thank you for the wonderful comfort that the Bible has for us. And we thank you that you do know us right well. Father, I thank you for me. You know what I'm going to do and you know everything about me. Therefore, I cannot fear. Father, I thank you that the devil doesn't know everything. The devil knows very little. He is not omniscient. He can only guess and estimate. But you know what he's going to do. And Father, I thank you that that means you've made provision in love for every single one of us in this room. Father, thank you that you always lead us in triumph. Thank you, too, that Romans 8:28 becomes true on that basis. You know all things, and you know that everything does work to the good, to those that love God, to those who are the called according to your purpose. And Father, I ask that that truth may possess us and relax us in Jesus' name. And Father, may we become those who obey your commandments and do your will, knowing that he can't be a fool who takes what you say and applies it in his own life. Father, may we be those who are wise in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Praise God. Next time, God's omnipotence. Amen.